Hi, I'm Derek McFadden, proud to be an author, a poet, and a lover of most things pop culture. I am also handicapped, born with a mild form of cerebral palsy. But please note, this podcast is not called Handicapped Writer. It is instead titled Writing While Handicapped, because that's what I do. Join me as we talk with folks in the book world. And this podcast looks at the world of literature from a perspective you haven't seen before. Welcome into a brand new episode of Writing While Handicapped. I am Derek McFadden. I am the author of What Death Taught Terrence and the new book, The Santa Claus Agreement. Today is a very special episode of Writing While Handicapped. On the show with us is Rob Schwartz. Rob Schwartz is the son of Maury Schwartz. Maury Schwartz, you will remember from Tuesdays with Maury by Mitch Album. And Maury has written another book, had written another book, has written another book. Rob has edited that book. How are you, Rob? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, thank you for letting me read this wonderful book. Uh, I I want to say first, I feel like I know your dad, which is a weird feeling for me. Uh, because when I was 13, I met a man who was dying. And I got to know him. And that was really, it made me want to write books. Ooh, it made wow. it made it made me want to say, "Hey, I can do something important with a life that I, you know, I I have cerebral palsy. I was born with cerebral palsy, and mm-hmm. I was kind of there. There were times in there where I was very aimless. My I, I think my grandfather would tell you that that I was very aimless, and I seeing Maury first with Ted Koppel because. I was I'd be up at and watching Nightline uh, and then mm-hmm. reading Mitch's book. It was amazing to see somebody who was so okay with the idea of my time is ending. The interesting thing is the Maury that we meet in this book that well, let me give the title of the book here, The Wisdom of Maury Living and Aging Creatively and Joyfully. The Maury we meet in this book is a little different because he didn't know that that was coming to him. That's true. He 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 seems very confident though. I mean, he has been. I mean, he's being a professor. He's been doing that for years. He's very good at it. Obviously, I can tell in the book. He knows what he's talking about. Mm. But he's very different. How how would you say this Maury that we meet in this book differs from that Maury? Because you knew right. Well, right. Um, of course, yeah. <laughs> My whole life, sure. Um, sure. Well, first, let me say I'm so glad for the guy that you said that you mentioned you met when you were younger, who who yeah. encouraged you or somehow opened the door for you to write. Yeah. That's that's wonderful. I'm so happy to hear that. And I'm happy to hear that you somehow associate him with my father, perhaps because they were both nearing the end of their life. But nonetheless, uh, that's wonderful. So first, I want to start with that. Um, So it's interesting because, you know, obviously, I've talked a lot about this book. And to me, the sort of wisdom and insight that's presented in the two books is very similar. But what you're keying on is, you know, sort of my father's personality. And you're certainly right that uh, when Mitch's book was written, 
through interviews that Mitch had done with my dad, he was already well into the illness. He was diagnosed in July of 1994, and Mitch was probably interviewing him more than a year later, or about a year later. I think they started in late spring, maybe Mm -hmm. in summer. I think they in that time, so about a year later. So he had been processing this illness for a long time. If Mitch had met him in, you know, right as soon as he got the diagnosis, he might have had a somewhat different, more personality-wise or, you know, expression-wise. I think the underlying wisdom, which we can talk about, would be much the same. But yes, I think you're right. I mean, when my father wrote this book, as you can, if you've, you know, read it, and I think you have, you can see that he's very... Yeah, he's very enthusiastic about aging. I mean, he's aging and he has some some physical challenges. He developed asthma about four years before he started this book, and that was quite a physical challenge for him. But he's very enthusiastic about the the, you know, elderly part of his life from then on. I would have been um, let me tell you exactly. He would have been 72 or so when he started writing this book. So in his mind he's going to live another 20 or 30 years he's sure. got a long time a lot of things to experience and of course we got the ls diagnosis you know five five or six years after uh he started right. writing this he finished just for your listeners to know he started writing this book in 1988 he finished in 1992 he put it in a desk drawer because he wasn't able to get it published and it was forgotten about. And then of course he got ill and et cetera. We can follow the story after that, but I'll get back back to your question. So I think that, that, you know, he was a quite a different man. He was had a very, always had a very positive outlook and you can feel the positive outlook in Tuesdays with Maury, but it's definitely the outlook of somebody knows that he doesn't have more than a few months to live. So that's, that, that'll, that'll change your life. If you have that that understanding. (laughs) Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. The, um, what was interesting for me, especially, was um, being handicapped. Uh, he talks a lot about something that I connected with really well, which was the difference between loneliness and solitude. Mm. Because I feel like solitude is something that we sometimes look for. We want it. It's, you know, it might help us get something done. Whereas loneliness is like not enjoyable. That's right, how I look right. at it. And oh, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's exactly right. Um, and I think that he discusses that in Tuesdays with Maury. He also discusses that in the new book, The Wisdom of Maury, the new slash old book, yeah. <laughs> Wisdom of Maury. Um, but there, there's a there's multifaceted, you know, to that. I think, and you can tell me if this is how you experience solitude, loneliness, I think we can all agree is you're feeling sad that you don't have anybody around you, anybody to relate to. Solitude, you know, you can concentrate on yourself, you can meditate, you can reflect, you know, you're not interrupted by anybody. I think that that's the difference. And my dad talks about that in this book both aspects of it. And by both aspects, I mean solitude being a good thing to be able to concentrate on yourself, focus your energy, reflect on your life and what you're doing and what you want to do. But the flip side in this book, my father makes a big effort to communicate the idea of how important it is to have human connection. You know, elderly people are often shunted aside 
side. People don't want to invite them to things. You know, their friends have passed away and that they're very much by themselves. He makes a big effort to encourage them to make new friendships, you know, for the elderly people not to segregate themselves from the rest of society, which is what happens a lot in our culture. And I think it also happens with differently abled people. Oh, it used to happen sure. much, much more than it does today, as I'm, you're yes. well aware. Oh, yes. I and do you think that I think that's been put into stark into a stark reality uh, with the with the pandemic? Um, mm. We oh, all see what loneliness is now. There's no question what loneliness is now. Loneliness is when you are without connection and solitude exactly. is when you, when you have that connection and you're making a choice to be by yourself. Right. I, I would more more or less agree with that. I think that yeah. that's right. I mean, maybe some people who are lonely, it's a momentary thing and they actually have a lot of people around them. Or maybe some people who are in solitude actually <laughs> don't have enough human connection in their life, but also enjoy reflecting or whatever. But in more or less, the distinction you made, yeah. I think, is correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what you said about... Um how it used to be very different for handicapped people and how it is for, for elderly people. I mean, I think of, of um, convalescent homes or, you know, mm -hmm. for the elderly and, and also in the, in the, in the years well before I was born, but I'm aware of them, the, the homes for people with cerebral palsy, because the society in general didn't know how to deal with it. So let's just give them money and it'll all be okay. And we don't have to look right. at it. Exactly. I think, exactly. I, I, I mean, what would your dad say? Would he agree that there's a, there's a societal thing where it says, let's just not look at what we don't want to see. And then nope. it doesn't have to be a thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, certainly my father would, would point out that, you know, deficit in our society. And he was really, really interested in and point out in many places in this book that, you know, it's really important to honor every human being, no matter what their, you know, physical situation, their race, their creed, their religion, you know, those things are superficial things. What's important is our shared humanity, which is inside of all of us. And that's what we need to concentrate on. And my father talks a lot about that in this book, how that's what, you know, you have to connect with somebody else's shared humanity and all of those superficial things won't matter. So I think this really does speak to what you're talking about. And what he points out many times also in that book is, is um, the, the difference in cultures. It is in our culture to to do how we do with the with the elderly to treat them that way but it is not in a lot in in many cultures exactly. they are venerated and absolutely um, and the idea that they're not to me is is just, it, i i don't understand it we we spend all this time gathering wisdom gaining knowledge mm. only to be thrown aside mm. when we hit some it's essentially when we're no longer in the 18 to 49 demographic and we can no longer be useful to advertisers. Let's just forget about them now. That's and exactly right. Yeah. It's yeah. so strange to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's strange and it's sad. And I mean, we don't need to, to, um, you know, pick apart mainstream culture. We right. all know no, it very I just well. was pointing it out. You know, yeah. Commercial, you know, no, no, I'm in complete agreement with you. I'm just it, saying yeah. that, 
you know, everybody understands that mainstream culture in this country is all about being young and sexy and healthy yes. and athletic and blah, blah, blah. Once you don't fit that picture anymore, well, if you're 40, you know, and maybe a little bit less, you know, attractive than you used to be, that's okay. But once you hit a certain point, forget it. You're out of the, you know, you're out of the picture. Mainstream culture doesn't care about you. But we also know that in general, and I'm really, you know, in some ways optimistic, culture has changed a lot to be far more accepting, far more understanding that we all have different abilities, we all have different intelligences, we all have different viewpoints, and all of them are valuable. And we can learn just as much from somebody who has, you know, whatever condition than from somebody who doesn't have that condition. In fact, we can probably right. learn more from the person right. who has that condition than the person who does not. And I think there's at least big segments of society that it's moving towards that understanding or has that understanding. Advertisers and, you know, commercial America, mm -hmm. yeah, something yeah. else, you know? <laughs> that if, if, if that's what you're basing the world on, advertising and commercial America, you're <laughs> looking in the wrong place. I mean, honestly. Right. And you're not going to be very happy. I because you'll no. never live up to the image, no matter who you are. You can be Brad Pitt. And, you know, now Brad Pitt is 60. He doesn't look as handsome as he did when he was 35. <laughs> right. And and I mean, and, and that's always going to be the thing, though. And the thing and it's interesting because in the movie, he, he he's just he, he, I think it, it was the movie he just did. It was called Babylon. And he was in a movie where he played a, a, a silent movie star who gets told you're done. You are old. You are done. And he, his character can't deal with that. His character That's right. That's exactly cannot right. deal with yeah. that. And, and, but here, I think it's interesting as a, as a handicapped person who was handicapped from, from birth. And so this is my normal. This is as, this is how it started for me, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. We, I, I wonder if aging is different for us than, than necessarily for the, quote unquote, normal person who starts out at baseline because we start out with the deficits that that they have to grow into. So the acceptance for us is different. We, we start out attempting to accept that. And then we move on to probably having to accept more and more and more as, as life goes on, as everybody right. does. Right. But we start out at a baseline that's different. Right. So my reaction to that would be this twofold. Of course, I'm not an expert, right? I, right. I, I no. didn't start in yeah. your situation. And, you know, I, I only know what my experience is. But my reaction to that would be twofold. One, I think you're right. I would I would separate it between psychologically and physically. Psychologically, I would think that people who start out differently abled absolutely are going to be able to accept aging better. Because, you know, when we age, all, all of us get slower, get weaker, our minds get weaker, everything. I mean, it's just a fact. I mean, it doesn't have to be. Your mind doesn't have to get weaker. And my father puts that in the book. You can right. keep your mind quite sharp, but it's a danger that your mind could get weaker and your body certainly gets weaker as you age. That is just a yes. function of aging, you know? And so if you had those challenges from the beginning or early on in life, you're going to be more used to dealing with that than somebody who didn't have those challenges. And I think that psychologically, you're going to be more able to accept that, which is basically what you're saying. On the flip side, however, and this is just my opinion, I'm not, yeah. you know, an expert, I'm not a doctor, but 
But somebody who has a differently abled condition as they age, it may be physically much more difficult for you because you already have a certain set of challenges. Yes. Okay. So that's what would be my response. Yeah. Let me let me ask you this uh, as far as as far as the book is concerned. What was it like editing your father when he was no longer there? there? Like, I know that mm. you worked with him as he was writing it in the original conception. Mm. What was it like, though, editing him when he was no longer there? I'm assuming you could still hear his voice in the writing, so that helped. But exactly, I don't... exactly. I'll just let you answer the question. <laughs> I, I'm I'm so sorry. I don't mean to. I don't mean no, to no, no. You don't need to apologize. I'm I'm a jokester. I'm just making a joke. So first of all, I have to correct you just a little bit. I didn't exactly work with him while he was creating the first um, version of this book, but I talked with him a lot. He wrote okay. this book said from 1988 to 1992 in the summer of 1989, I was home from a long Asia trip, like a year and a half traveling in Asia. I was home, you know, I was a young kid preparing to move to Japan and I was home for three months. So I was able to meet with him every day, meaning just casually and discuss right. what he was thinking about. We always discussed what he was thinking about. And that was this book. So I had a lot of discussions with him about the contents of the book. I didn't help him write it in any way at that time. Okay. So that just to clear that. And then, yeah, I rediscovered it and I edited it. Certainly I'll start out with exactly what you said, that it was wonderful because yes, I could hear my father's voice ringing through every page and every insight. So in that way, it was kind of, you know, reliving being with him. That That's the sort of emotional part of it. And the sure. intellectual part, you know, I had to make a lot of editorial decisions. There was repetition. My father liked to list things out. The lists were far too long. I had to decide these six things are not important. They're going to get cut off. Or even sometimes like these 12 things, you know, uh -huh. it was, it was, yeah, quite a serious amount of editing. But, you know, that's what an editor does. An editor has to make those choices. I'm obviously confident that the choices that I made, my father would approve of. And I'll add one final note that my mother actually edited a lot of my father's academic work. My father was an academic. He was a professor of sociology and social psychology. He wrote three books in the 50s and the 60s, which one of which was incredibly groundbreaking and made him sort of a little star in the field of sociology and social psychology. My mother edited all of those books. So she was very well versed in editing his work. So when I started it, my mother gave me some direction. So I had the feeling like, okay, I'm on the right track. So I was pretty confident that what I was doing was, was, you know, the, the right thing and having mom there to at least start things off was, was a real blessing. It's uh you guys, it's it's a great book. I mean, I you don't need me to tell you that, but it's a, I I found it so helpful for me um, as a as a writer who is also handicapped, and I've just turned forty this year, um, about to be forty one. Wow, you look and, great. You look great. Thank you. Um, well, I don't go out in the sun very much, so you know, <laughs> that's how I. Um, but I it, I you know. I really felt that a lot of this just applied to me. So know that it doesn't have to be about, I feel old or I think everybody feels aged. If you're not 25 on the volleyball courts, just spiking everything, you're going to feel <laughs> aged. Okay. Wonderful because, metaphor. Excellent. Yes. Excellent. 
I, I, I don't, you know, and, and why, I mean, aging is not a bad thing. We, we all do it. If, if you get to keep doing it, that means you get to keep staying here and being here and, and affecting. Exactly. That's something that my father said all the time. And he actually, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that's exactly yeah. something he said. He said, getting old is getting old, but it beats the alternative. <laughs> well, and there are so many examples that he gives of, 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 of older people who are making good use of their lives. And he, he gives those examples in this book. And, and, and when I, you know, I remember being 25 and, and, uh, or, or I, I remember being 21 when my grandfather passed away. And I remember being like 17 or 18 when he had cancer. And, you know, right before he had cancer, it was okay to just joke with him and to, for him to say stuff like, uh, I'm getting older and one of these days somebody's not going to want to hear what I have to say. And I remember writing on the ferry with him and at one point being like, hey, remember when you said that day was going to come? That day is here. And I said that to him <laughs> as a joke, you know, as a because right, we were sarcastic. Right. And right. then and then and then the cancer comes and everything happens the way it does. And all you do is you say, yeah. I just want more time. I just want mm. more time. It's really mm. interesting to watch the way that people grieve mm. um, because I grieved by saying I want more time. Mm. I, I, I wish he was still here. I'm going to write stories that put him here. And my yeah. grandmother's reaction to that was if he was still here, he'd have cancer. And I said, I don't want the part that that'd be like you say, you know, I want my, I, I want my dad back. And then somebody said, but if he was still here, he'd, he'd have ALS. Well, that's, I don't want that. Right, exactly. I exactly. want the person yeah. that he was, yeah. you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, no, I understand what you're saying. And of course, I mean, we always want more time. I have so many uh, feelings and things I could relate to that. I'll, I'll try and run through them with not go yeah. drag on too long. So first of all, um, we always said, my father always said it in some ways, this disease, which, you know, takes so long to, to finally do you in was a blessing because we got to sit down and discuss everything about our lives and our relationship from the time I was born until that day. So that was a real blessing. On the other hand, of course, you know, what I wouldn't trade, I mean, you're going to get me choked up, what I wouldn't trade for one more I day. I got myself already. So I get it. Yeah, it's okay to cry. It's yeah. okay to cry. Um, or he would say that. So that's good. Absolutely, he would. Um, so yes, of course, we, we always want more time. I mean, that's just, a, a, you know, somebody that you're attached to and somebody that you love, how could you not want more time with them? And then I'll one more part that I'll address to what you said, because this is something it may or may not be something that you're concerned with, but you brought it up. So I'll address it. Yeah. Grieving is a really, really tough thing. People think that grieving is just like, oh, you grieve and that's that. It's so not that. It's such a deep thing. For me, of course, I didn't even realize it at the time, but it took five years before I even started to grieve for my father. I mean, of wow. course, I was sad yeah. and right. you know, missing him, but that's not grieving. Grieving, grieving is, is different. different. Yeah. Yeah. It's really examining those feelings and accepting, you know, eventually accepting the reality as it is. And literally 
it took me years to even start grieving. And that's one of the reasons I get this question a lot. You know, I discovered this book, this manuscript in maybe 2000, I can't remember exactly when it was, 2002 or 2003, might've been 2004, but anyways, in that neck of the woods. And I didn't start editing it till much later. And it took me a really long time to do it. And that's because I was processing so many feelings about my father and I was still grieving. I was probably still grieving him 10 or 12 years after. And I mean, in some sense, it never ends, but the real grieving process, the intense grieving, I probably was still doing it 12 years after he passed away. So that's why this process took such a long time, you know, and I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm, I'm happy that this book is coming out now, you know? Yeah, I, I think, well, and I think, like I said, with the pandemic having happened, I think right now is a, is a perfect time for the yeah, book to, yeah. to um, and, you know, for me, I'm, I'm coming up on 20 years that my, my, my grandpa will have been gone. Mm-hmm. And he, he, this year, he will have been gone as many years as I knew him. Right, right. And that yeah, is, yeah that, yeah, that is, that is really, that's hard. It's, um, yeah, it's hard. And how, how old was he? He was 73. Right. Um, he fought fought yeah. cancer for six years, um, wow. and and had a lung removed and everything else. Um, wow. You know, when he went in for the surgery, uh, they they did the surgery and everything. But they can't after he came out of it. The the doctors came to us and said, "Listen, we we went in there, we opened him up, and the cancer was wrapped around his heart." Wow. And he they wow. said if if we had known that, if we had seen it in the x-ray, we would not would have, have opened him up. Yeah. There's right. no way. Yeah. And there's nothing to do. Yeah. No. So, but they were able to get it un, unwrapped. I don't know what they, you know, medical professionals are medical professionals. And um it gave us six more years with him. Uh we were mm-hmm. able to do a trip to Machu Picchu and and really fun stuff that we wouldn't have done otherwise. Right. Right. Um and the last book he ever read was a, was a poetry book I wrote for him. Wow! Oh, wonderful! And so, you know, uh, anyway, <laughs> I I'm I'm usually a lot more uh, together, but this is a uh, it's, it's fine. This book you got, and you know, and I don't mind it. I'm not. I'm not even gonna. We've talked about. I can tell. Gonna, I can tell you're okay with your emotions. <laughs> I'm. I'm okay. I. I um. Huh, uh, but I will say, you guys, this book is necessary i mean that is the best compliment i can give you is yeah that, that's a big compliment that's a um big compliment. i feel like uh it is uh the kind of book that look it's not going to take you long to read it but when you read it you will be in it and and it's uh uh and and you can tell that all of the examples that maury gives he knows these people he has talked to these people and 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 um, and everyone he talks about, you can tell in the writing matter to him, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. part of that's part of why I love it so much. <laughs> mm, thank you. Yeah. So let me just add to that because I think that you know people who'll be listening to this probably don't have the book in their hand. They won't. It comes out April eighteenth, guys. That's April right. 18th, it comes out it comes April eighteenth. The wisdom of Maury, aging uh, creatively and joyfully, and. So the book is filled with stories and vignettes and poems and examples of people's lives. So it's a very unusual book. You know, most books are either like 
if it's a nonfiction book, it'll be just, you know, the narrative with tons of facts or something. Or if it's a fiction book, it'll have lots of stories in it, but it's fiction. This is a nonfiction book right. that is filled with stories and vignettes and poems and observations and really, and, you know, insights and techniques of things to do, yes. suggestions of things to do. So it is, it's like you said, it's so varied that you just sort of fly through this book. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for, for people to read it and, you know, relate to what my father is saying. Uh, just one note, you said that he knew these people. He did. He knew all of the people that he writes about in the book. But just to let everybody know, just so there's no confusion, all right. of the names are changed. Oh, it's of none course, of the yeah. names. You can't say like, oh, that sounds like my friend so-and-so. No, the name has been changed since since my father wrote it. And, you know, we're putting it out there. But uh, they are real people. They are people that my father knew. And he's taking the example of their lives to try and show how an elderly person can really have a vital, joyous, creative life. Just your age is not defining who you are, just like your condition doesn't define who you are. That's that's the thing for handicapped people. Uh, society likes to define us with that. So the right, challenge right. for us becomes how do we not allow that to happen? Exactly. Exactly. And if they're going to do it, how do we allow it not to happen within us? Exactly. exactly. If they do it, let's just not let us but let, let that happen for us. Anyway, right. we're, we're coming well, up. Can I actually interrupt you because you've oh, actually ahead. you've yes, actually hit on uh, the way I describe the book. It has two aspects to it, and you've hit on the first one. There's the psychological aspect, and of course, my father was a psychological professional, but it's yes. it's not any of that academic language. You don't have to worry about that. And, and the practical aspect. And in the psychological aspect, my father starts off about talking about how aging, as you said in the beginning of the interview, is so looked down upon, yes. elderly people are looked down upon our society, and people internalize that. Just like differently abled people internalize this idea of I'm not as good as everybody else. El elderly people internalize like, okay, now I'm worthless. And my father was so upset that people were internalizing these poisonous ideas that are completely yeah. wrong. You're not any less of a person when you're 30 or when you're 80, right? Obviously. Yeah. So you need to get rid of that psychological impairment, just like handicapped people, differently abled people need to get rid of that psychological impairment that somehow you're worth less than somebody else. It's an absurd idea that's been foisted on us by people or society, which has no idea what it's talking and, about. And, and you and need to make an gets, effort to get rid of that. It yeah. just gets wedged so deep. It's true. That, that, that it's it true. gets wedged so deep. Anyway, it's not easy to get rid of it. Nobody's no, saying no. it's easy, this, but this, it's this necessary. Book, you use your word. It's definitely... This book definitely helps. It's necessary. Yes. Right. right. I'm so sorry. So let me just finish. Let me just finish the yes. thought and then uh, go ahead. So there's yes. two, I said there's two sides to it. There's the psychological side. And then the other side is the practical side. My father gives practical things that you can do yes. to feel better, to feel more creative, to feel more joyful. I mean, he enumerates them and I can give you some of them if you like, you know, A, B, C, D, E, you know, concentrate on laughter. What makes you laugh? Laughter is so important. You know, whatever makes you laugh, pursue that, whether it's comedy or what have you, you know, yeah. it's so important to have laughter in our lives. I'm just going to give a few of them. I'm only yeah, go, the whole, go, go right ahead. You know. yeah. Sure. Have, I mean, my father yeah. talks about create a spiritual connection, whatever that means for you. 
He's not right. pushing any one religion or spiritual practice or anything, but whatever it means for you, it's important to have that aspect of your life. And I think that people are coming around to that now, having some kind of spiritual connection. If it's an organized religion for you, that's fine. If it's something totally different, you know, if you can just feel connected to the earth which is, of course, what, you know, maintains us, where we get our food from, you know, then that's a spiritual connection. I'll leave it there. There's a lot more, but, you know. Yeah, um, I, yeah. I, listen, I would talk to you for so long. I just, it, it, we're, we're, we're a little bit hamstrung by the fact that we're on Zoom here. That's the only reason. That, right. um, but, okay, let me ask you a, a very, a very podcasty question, which is if anybody okay. would, would like to get in touch with you online, how would they do that? Well, I've set up a website wisdomofmori.com no the just wisdomofmori.com wisdom. okay. yeah wisdomofmori.com yeah and we have a we have an interactive page there you know where people can contact us you know i don't i don't mind getting contacted by email i'll give you my email address that's fine i mean i have a lot of email address so i'll give you one just trying to think my email address are kind of complicated i mean i'll spell it out people if they're if they're well, into it they really can, want to contact me and we can yeah. put it in the show notes if you give it to me. Okay, we'll, we'll put it in the show, show notes. So I'll put yeah, it in the show notes. Okay, um, and I'll yeah. say it just now for, for people who are listening. So my email address is based on a Hindu goddess. Um, so it's from the river we call the Ganges, but in India they call it the Ganga. G A A N G A, all G's, G A N G A, and then the, the goddess is called Mati which actually means mother. So the word is Ganga Mati, G-A-N-G-A-M-A-T-I. And you can write me there at yahoo.com. I've had that email address for decades. <laughs> I was wondering, I've seen that email. I've written you. I, I was wondering what that, right. what that refers to. Well, actually, to. I think you wrote me a slightly different email address, but the same uh, word. Yeah. Similar, similar, yes, okay. Yeah, but, similar, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Writing While Handicapped is a podcast solely owned by the authors on the air Global Radio Network. Thank you so much, Rob, for being with me here. I, I oh, really appreciate it. For now, goodbye, everybody.